1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Follow along as I read it. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The word of the Lord. So, what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth is a very important pertinent, practical word for us today, and we need to consider it. And we read this, actually, we read these verses often prior to the celebration of the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves that we need not go through this casually. We need to be careful not to just stroll our way mindlessly into some religious routine just because it's what we do at some certain point so often in the service. There's more to it than this. There's obviously more to the Lord's Supper than this. If Paul is warning the Corinthians with a strong word saying you need to be careful, you need to examine your heart, because if you partake of the Lord's Supper wrongly, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. And he pushes it even farther. You're like, well, what does that mean? I'm already forgiven in Christ. He says, this is why. Did you see it? This is why some of you are sick and have even died. We don't think of the Lord's Supper in these terms. Especially from our background, most of us have grown up knowing that there are various views on the Lord's Supper. There's the Catholic view that actually thinks that the bread and the wine that they use turn magically into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you knew that that's what our Catholic brothers and sisters believe. They believe that it transforms. It's called transubstantiation. It actually changes in substance into the body and blood of Christ. We say, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what Jesus meant when he held up the bread and said, this is my body. He wasn't changing it into his actual body. He was establishing an ordinance, and he was telling them, do this in remembrance of me. And so we say, no, no, it's just symbolic. It just reminds us. And we have, therefore, we come to the conclusion that it's more or less just an object lesson, right? To help remind us a visual representation of the body of Christ was broken for us, and the blood of Christ was shed for us, and it's just a visual, sensory 
engagement in this message to remind ourselves. And those things are true. But I believe it's more than that. Because if it were just that, then why would people get sick and die for participating in it with a wrong heart? Many of our brothers and sisters through history have used the phrase means of grace. In other words, it's a means that God uses to do something in our lives. Do you know that when we partake of the Lord's Supper rightly in the presence of the Lord, God does special things in us. It's an opportunity. We call it communion. It's an opportunity to commune with God in a certain way that he established. And God takes it seriously, and so should we. Now, as we look at this text, I want to ask a couple of questions, actually three questions of it, and try to answer them in in light of this text and give us some practical stuff. First of all, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper anyway? Why do we celebrate it? Paul starts off in verse 23 that I read. He says, here's why. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That is, Jesus commanded it. Paul's not giving this instruction on his own accord. The things that he's saying here are not coming from his own mind or even his own experience. He's talking about something that he received from the Lord. And we know this is true because it's affirmed in the gospel records. At the end of the gospel accounts, Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper it's called sometimes, with his disciples. And he tells them, and you know this is a continuation, he's using the elements of the Jewish Passover and he's relating it to his fulfillment of the promised uh, Messiah who would come. The lamb who would be slain for the sin of the world. He's connecting the dots to a work that God had been promising for a long time and he uses the bread and he uses the wine to say I am fulfilling this celebration and he tells them when he shares that supper with them he says continue to do this in remembrance of me until I come back and Paul quotes those words so why do we do it quite simply we do it because Jesus said so when Jesus says that we ought to do something and we're a child of God if he's lord of our life the answer is yes and there are a couple of things. You know, the church in the, New, in the Bible is, is really simple. The church in America is complex. There's lots of buildings and lots of programs and lots of people doing lots of different things. And that can be good and fine. But when you read about what the church is in the New Testament, it's really, really simple. It's a lot simpler than the business model that drives much of the church in America. There are just a couple of things that the Lord said we must do. We know we must make disciples of all nations, right? We must baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we must teach them, disciple them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. this This is what we're supposed to be about. And we know that he's given us what we call two ordinances in the church. First of them is mentioned right there, baptizing them. Baptism is something that Jesus instructed us to do. When a person is saved... They're supposed to become a part of the body of Christ. And their entrance into the church. And their entrance into the church is done by a public profession of faith through an ordinance called baptism. And we ought to hold that in high esteem. The Lord commanded us to do it. And so we should. Secondly, the Lord's Supper. As he told his disciples, look, you guys continue to do this until I return. 
It's an ordinance. It's ordained by God. This is why we do it, because Jesus commanded it. But then, yes, we do it because Jesus commanded it, but what's the, what's the purpose behind it? Well, he says in verse 26, to proclaim the death of Christ. Look at verse 26 again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder of the unconditional. We're reminding ourselves as a church, and if you celebrate, you partake as a family, you're reminding one another as a family of the unconditional love of God. That God loved you so much that he gave himself for his body to be broken. He was brutally beaten and tortured. He was nailed to the cross and he shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sin that separated you from him. It's a reminder of the unconditional love of God. But you know, it's also a reminder of something else. It's a reminder of the seriousness of sin. We have a tendency to trivialize sin, to justify ourselves and our sinful activity by looking at other people and saying, I'm not as bad as them. But we remind ourselves every time we partake of the Lord's Supper that Jesus had to be tortured. He had to die. He had to shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven because there's no other way for God to tolerate us. Without it, we're enemies of God. We're against God. He cannot sweep it under the rug. He cannot overlook it. He had to suffer and die to satisfy his own justice because sin is serious. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ought to remember how serious sin is. We're proclaiming the death of Christ. This is our testament to one another that, hey, this is, this is what we're about. It's our testimony to those who may come and, and find themselves in our midst in one of our worship services where we gladly say, this is what it's all about. It's about my Lord Jesus Christ who came and died and bled so that I could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And guess what? You can be too. And every time we celebrate, we're reminding each other that, look, this bread and this cup, they're not going to do anything for you unless you know the Lord Jesus already. And if you don't, don't take this. But we invite you to take him today. Every time we gather and celebrate, it gives us the opportunity to proclaim that loudly. And that's why Paul says we do it. But the other reason is to increase our anticipation for the full feast at the return of Christ. Dean, there was a joke earlier. He's going to provide lunch for those after. Well, we're going to eat before then, right? But it's not going to fill us up. Some of you are like right now, like I wish Jason was preaching because then I'd get to lunch quicker. <laughs> yep. Good news. We've got something to eat in just a moment. But you know... That it's, it's not going to fill you up. And you know what? That's actually a beautiful thing. Because let it be a reminder that though we remember the death of Christ and all the benefits that we have right now, being able to have a restored relationship with God, let it remind you that you're still hungry. 
there's a greater feast that we're waiting for. We do this until he returns in anticipation for his return when we get to enjoy not just the bread and the cup, but the full feast that's available for us as the children of God. And when we celebrate, let the small amount of what we actually partake in remind us of the greater things to come. That's some of why we do it, but let's go a little bit farther. Who, second question, should partake in the Lord's Supper? We know from verses actually 27 through 30, we know that there are consequences to partaking wrongly. Look at them again. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, the body and the blood of the Lord were given to forgive you of all of your sin. But, if you're partaking wrongly, not only are you still guilty of all of your sin, you're guilty of profaning the most precious holy thing of the Lord, the body and blood of Jesus, the gospel. That's what he says. And so there's a warning, obvious warning, And I already mentioned that it says that we have to examine ourselves in verse 28, verse 29. If we eat or drink without discerning the body, we eat or drink judgment on ourselves. And then verse 30, that's why many people are, are sick and ill and even die. So there are consequences to partaking wrongly. So the question remains, who then can partake? Who is worthy? Have you ever thought about that in reading this? partaking in an unworthy manner and sat there and said, well, who could partake then? Like, who is worthy? Who is worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper? And the reality is none of us in and of ourselves is worthy. No one is worthy. And there's a story, I read a story about a man who for many years, he was a faithful, devoted follower of Christ, very faithful in his church, and for years and years and years, he never celebrated the Lord's Supper. When the church would celebrate, he never celebrated And one day the pastor asked him, he said, Brother, why don't you celebrate in the Lord's Supper? And he said the reason was because he read this scripture and he knew that he wasn't worthy. And so he would always sit back. And he had the right heart about it, but he was failing to realize that the reason we celebrate is because he's made us worthy. Because his body was broken and his blood was shed, if we trust in him, in him we are worthy. And so this pushes us to the first answer to that question. You must be born again. You must be born again. The only way to be worthy. And by the way, it doesn't say that we have to be worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Or whoever is unworthy and partakes of the Lord's Supper. It says, partaking in an unworthy manner. So this is actually speaking not of our status, the status of our own standing before God. It's actually speaking of the manner, our attitude, the manner in which we approach the Lord's Supper, which is important to understanding this passage. But the point, nonetheless, you must be born again. A person who does not trust in the death of Christ cannot rightly celebrate a memorial of it. In order to memorialize the death of Christ as a benefit in your life, you have to first be born again. And look, if you're here this morning, maybe you've heard the gospel, you've been in church thousands of times, but the reality is, 
you can be born again. And if you haven't yet, why not? Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. The only path to worthiness in participating in anything in God's eyes is through salvation. Is through our union with Christ, trusting in Jesus to wipe away our sin. Now, I want to say this in regard to who should partake in the Lord's Supper. If a child, regardless of age, professes to be born again, we want them to participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, some of you have talked to us, and I know we wrestle with this as parents. Some of you have talked to us about baptisms. A lot of churches will baptize every person who responds to a VBS invitation. Four or five years old, you see them being dunked. And and I appreciate their sentiment that we want to celebrate. They're made a profession of Christ. We want them to be baptized. But there's some wisdom in waiting in that we know through experience that people, especially children, make emotional responses. They follow the crowd and they may not rightly understand their sin, God, the gospel. They might not. And and I know we can ask the question, like, how much does a person really have to know or understand? And that's not really the issue. The issue is being born again. The issue is conversion. The issue is, has the old person died, and do they truly have new life? Now, can we know that perfectly as parents? No, we can't always know that. We can't know that perfectly about anybody. We have to trust one another. We have to trust a person's profession of faith. And so I will tell you, regarding the two ordinances in the church, and I have, I know the agreement of our elders, I'm not just speaking for myself here, that we... We applaud those of you who want to wait and delay baptism because you want to make sure that the salvation is real, that they are indeed born again. And it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. They're going to still struggle with sin. Yes, it's a tough thing to discern. But there's wisdom in waiting for the Lord's Supper, I mean baptism, but allowing them to partake in the Lord's Supper for this reason. Baptism is intended to be a one-time ordinance. The Lord's Supper is intentionally meant to be a repetitive ordinance, something that we do often, that we do continuously. And it gives us the opportunity to shepherd our children through a right understanding of their salvation. And maybe when they're seven years old, they're partaking of the Lord's Supper. And then we realize about the time they're nine that I really don't think they're saved. It's okay for us to say, hey, I know you've been partaken, and I know you talked about salvation, but for right now, let's refrain. And I'm not telling you right now that you're not saved. I don't really know that. But it doesn't seem like, and we're going to get to this, it doesn't seem like you're walking where you need to be in relationship with God. And so based on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, why don't we refrain? The Lord's Supper gives us perfect opportunity to shepherd them through that and whereas we don't want to be baptizing kids you know five times from the time that they're five to 18 we really don't want to do that because it it really distorts the picture of the gospel and salvation and I'm not saying we want to give the Lord's Supper to a lost person but I'm saying that if a child truly seems to profess Christ, we want to encourage them to partake of the Lord's Supper, even though we may advise waiting on baptism. 
And I hope if you have questions about how we make that distinction, I welcome you to talk with me or one of the elders. It is going to be some discussion in home group because this is the stuff that we as parents have to walk through and it's not easy to discern. So who should partake? You must be born again. But not only is that the requirement, you must presently trust in Christ. A past profession of faith is not solid grounds for rightly partaking in the Lord's Supper. That's why Paul is confronting this church. He's not necessarily calling into question their salvation. He's not saying, look, you're all prone to the judgment of God because your salvation is suspect. That's not what he's doing. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're they're quite possibly saved and born again. But they have some issues in Corinthians. First Corinthians is full of Paul addressing the issues in their life. Many issues in the church in Corinth. They were messy. So, the, the verses 20 and 29, the language here is present tense. It's talking about looking at our current walk with God. We must not only have a past profession of faith, but we must presently be living a life of trusting in Christ. And a couple of months ago, I tried to explain to you what it means to have faith in Christ, what it means to trust in God. It means to rest your weight fully upon Him. Not be living by your own power for your own purpose, your own pursuits, but be wholly surrendered to Him. If you're not, then The time when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is intended by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an opportunity for us to evaluate our hearts and our own present walk with Christ and make it right. Turn away. So lastly, you must presently trust in Christ. You must deal with sin. You must deal with sin. And this is is vertically... And horizontally, and we'll come to this, uh, verse 29 says this, says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And verse 31 says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. The picture here is that we need to deal with the sin in our life. Who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Those who are not allowing sin, knowing the conviction of the Lord has come upon them. They're not allowing sin. They're not saying, Lord, I know this isn't right, but surely you'll understand. That's not the right heart. Repentance, judging ourselves, allowing the Word of God to convict us, to confront us, to make make us change our ways. And when we say, yes, Lord, I know I'm not perfect, I'm struggling, but my answer is, yes, I surrender to you and I trust in you for your forgiveness to wash over my sin and I authentically want to pursue you and that's why I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper because I'm so grateful that you've forgiven me of my sin and I want to be all about the gospel. I want my life to be all about the gospel. But I said specifically you must deal with sin vertically and horizontally because there is clearly the picture here that we must deal with the sin that God confronts us of in our life. That our relationship with God must be secure. We must be saved. We must be in fellowship with God, not in broken, hindered fellowship because of our, our um, uh, unrepentant hearts. But there's also a horizontal aspect There's also a horizontal aspect here, and I want to 
mention this briefly. Verse, um, discerning the body. Which verse was that? Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. So that seems to be the issue. Eats or drinks without discerning the body. Eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This word here, if we just take the verses that I've read to you, it would seem to indicate that what Paul is talking about is that while we partake of the bread and the cup, that we think not just about bread and juice or wine or whatever the case may be, we think about the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. The word discern means take pause, stop, and make a judgment, to think seriously about it. So, yes... It's true that we bring consequences upon ourselves if we don't stop to think about why we're doing what we're doing. However, many scholars, and scholars are divided on whether that body, if that's what it means there. Because you know there's another analogy in Scripture used all through Scripture, and it's the body of Christ not being about the Lord's Supper, but being about the church. The church is called the body of Christ. And so scholars are divided over, is Paul talking about discerning the body of Christ here? Or is he talking about discerning the body of the Lord's Supper? Now, based on the verses we just read, you might be inclined to think, well, he's obviously talking about discerning the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, right? But the problem is, we just dropped into the middle of a conversation, reading in verse 23. Directly before this, Paul is confronting the Corinthian church because their practice of the Lord's Supper was they would celebrate at the conclusion of what's known as a love feast. Think like potluck's dinner, right? Whole bunch of food, everybody would eat, but at the end, the finale of it would be a celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's a love feast. They did it often in the New Testament. And Paul is confronting them because what they were doing is they would come and the rich would come early with all the nice food and they would intentionally not allow the poor to come, the, the, the despised people, the outcasts to come and partake of this until later. And by that time, all they got was scraps. And so they were disregarding their brothers. That's what Paul is confronting them about. Right? their treatment of their brothers and sisters in Christ, their failure to put them first and to think their self-centeredness in this love feast that culminated with the Lord's Supper. And then, look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If one is, anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will come and give directions. He's saying... He's picking, this is sandwich, this, this instruction on the Lord's Supper, discerning the body is in the context of talking about how we interact as the body of Christ, the church. And so it's difficult to discern whether, or to know, whether the, Paul meant the body of Christ as the church or the body of Christ as the one literal body of Jesus that was broken for us. And when you think about the fact that communion, the, the, the language that we use for the Lord's Supper, communion, speaks of our communion with God as well as our communion with one another intentionally. That the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that's not to be, all the, both of the ordinance, they're not private, they're corporate. They're ordinances for the church, for the body of Christ. Jesus values the church. Paul 
probably had both in mind. And that's why I say that in order to, who should partake in the Lord's Supper? Those who deal with sin vertically against God, but also horizontally in the church. Because he says, if we partake without discerning the body, without thinking seriously, taking pause to think not just about ourselves, but about the body of Christ then we actually eat and drink judgment upon ourselves, which perfectly fits the context, 1 Corinthians 11. You can read it slower later. I encourage you to read that and see which one do you think he's talking about primarily. Or do you think he just means both of them? I think he means both. You must deal with sin. Now, I'll make a couple of comments before I come to a close. It's not, I've already said, it's not easy to discern salvation all the time in a child, and sometimes even in an adult. So how can we know that a person is saved? Well, hungering for God and the things of God is a good indication of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Just like brokenness over sin and a burden for the lost and things like that. Having a hunger for the things of God is a good indication. Like when I got saved, before I got saved, I didn't care about this book. When I got saved, I wanted to know what it said. That's why I was going over to Mr. Craig Knuckles' house on Tuesday nights. And he was teaching me with some other guys, calling him out. He loves when I do that. He was teaching me and some other guys Bible study. Before I got saved, I would have had no interest in being there, but I was so hungry for it. I was taking it in, soaking it up, and I loved it because God had done a work in me. If there's no evidence in a person's life of the indwelling spirit, like they don't hunger for God, there's no brokenness over their sin, there's no burden for lost people, Or if they've regressed, maybe at one time they seem to have some of these things, but they don't. Especially your children, I would encourage you, please talk with them. Have them refrain. The frequent abstaining from the Lord's Supper, even if they've partaken in the past, should be a regular witness calling them back to communion with Christ. So I want us to hear this. It doesn't necessarily mean like coloring a color sheet doesn't mean a per- during a church service doesn't mean a person is lost. It doesn't even necessarily mean that they're not right with God. But it could be a good indication that they just don't have a hunger for the things of the Lord. The truth is, it's important for us as parents to shepherd them through that. To take it serious. To have those conversations with our kids. To understand There are consequences. Don't take this lightly. But rest in the goodness and grace of God and know that when we we trust in God and we use this, like I believe God intends, as a means to shepherd our kids to understand the gospel and hopefully know Him personally, it's powerful. One last note on it. Unsaved children are welcome to come up here with their families, and some do, and some were concerned that maybe he didn't understand that my kids come with me. Yeah, they were coloring, but they don't partake, and that's fine. We encourage you to bring your kids up here. Let them come with you if they don't know Jesus yet, and then when you go back to your chair or wherever you go in this room, explain it to them. 
Let it be a constant witness to your trust in Jesus, a celebration of the gospel that they will look forward to being able to partake one day. It's meant to be that, and so we welcome that. I just want to make sure that all of us hear from the Lord. Now, how, last question in closing, how do we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper? Very clearly in verse 28, it says that we must examine our hearts. Verse 28, I think, is the key verse or the key challenge in the, these, this passage. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When we celebrate the gospel, it's important that we do just that. That we examine the current, our current, the current status of our relationship with Christ. Is it hindered? If it is, if we're out of fellowship, out of communion with Him, then what we do by partaking is a lie. It's a lie to ourselves. It's a lie to God. It's a lie to our church. It's a lie to our children. And God takes it seriously. So should we. Let's start by examining our heart. One of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper so often, some people say that it's best to celebrate it once a quarter, once a month, or less frequent, because then, then... It won't become so routine. It'll, we'll, we'll have a, it'll seem more reverent. But that's not the pattern in the New Testament. Right now we do it approximately every other week. One day we might do it every time we come together, every Sunday morning. God may lead us in that direction because the issue isn't the frequency. I think more frequent is better if every time we're taking the opportunity to truly celebrate the gospel and examine our hearts. And not only should we examine our heart, verse 29 tells us that we should renew our commitment to Christ. Discern the body of Christ. Renewing our commitment involves repenting of current sin. Yes, I've already given myself to Christ, but you know what? I've struggled since. And I deal with it regularly. And in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that it's His blood that covers our sin. It's His body that was broken for us. And we don't just acknowledge the fact, we apply it. We renew our commitment to Christ and we renew our commitment to the church family. Celebration of the Lord's Supper is a time where if there is a grievance between you and a brother or sister in Christ, you're supposed to refrain until you make it right. So renew your commitment to, to Christ, your relationship with Him. Renew your commitment to the body of Christ. Examine. This is how we examine our heart. And then we rejoice that it's all settled because Jesus did it. And we anticipate that He's coming back one day. This is just a foretaste of a greater meal. I want to pray for us. And then I want to invite you to do just this. There are side effects, right? To not partaking of the Lord's Supper rightly. But Paul doesn't just give us a list of side effects so that we take it and still get these side effects. He wants to protect us from these consequences. He wants us to examine, to stop, to think seriously about where we are. Think about our relationship with God and our faithfulness to Him. When we do, I believe there's 
fresh healing. There's a fresh application of the gospel. That's what he wants to do in our lives. So let's celebrate that today. And if you don't know Christ, if you're listening to this, you're like, man, that's a lot of talk about bread and a cup of juice. God has done a great thing for us. God is a God who, who cannot, we cannot play games with him. He cannot be fooled, but he loves us incredibly. If you don't know him yet, don't take of the bread and the juice, but trust in Jesus today. If you need help knowing how to do that, I'd be glad to talk with you. So would Jason. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask you to help us discern the body of Christ today. I'm so thankful that you have given us this celebration of the Lord's Supper. And it's not just some pointless celebration. Everything that you have commanded us to do ever has a purpose. It's powerful. It's bigger than we understand. And God, I ask that you would help us not to trivialize or take lightly this celebration. I ask you to search our hearts. And if there's any impure way in any of your children this morning, I ask for conviction. Grant repentance. And I thank you, Lord, that there is forgiveness because Jesus did die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. And he rose from the grave, defeating the consequence of our sin, death. And he reigns at the right hand of the Father and will return to make everything right. Lord, we anticipate that day. Thank you for this church family. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to bring you honor and glory this community. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take time to respond, to prepare your heart, and as soon as you're ready, individually as, or as a family, we invite you to come and partake of the Lord's Supper.